we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. It dawned on me the other day with the news cycle being what it is right now, and it's a pretty hot news cycle, a lot going on, how quiet COVID, the, what I call the COVID fear hustlers are. They're very, very quiet. Uh, you don't hear much from them anymore, but I think the media was always using this as propaganda. Uh, fear-based headlines I'm speaking about, that was the thing. There's that part of the story. Some interesting things, too, to talk about uh, today. We'll touch on with uh, Matthew Perry, the untimely death of the actor you see. On Q&A 89, friends, welcome into America Out Loud Pulse. It is indeed Malcolm Out Loud here, along with my co-host. Dr. Peter McCullough. So we'll start with this new cycle. I went in today, Dr. McCullough, and I took a look at the COVID headlines to see what was going on exactly and it, it's, you know, you're not hearing, the, you don't feel that sense of fear anymore. They, they're not hot on the trail anymore because there's other things that have occupied the news. And when you watch the news, you can see it's it, it, like always, it's always propaganda, fear-based kind of thing. But a couple of interesting things I wanted to share with you. When, when you just search COVID, the word COVID, you'll get in there like Pfizer swings to quarterly loss due to Paxlovid and COVID vaccine write-offs which of course I laughed at that. I thought that was great news. Uh, sweep and ban on COVID-19 vaccine mandates by private employers, heads uh, to court, uh, face mask ward off, uh, uh, just all trivia kind of stories. There's no, uh, there's nothing they can bite into that's fear. But there's another interesting one I wanted to tell you. I don't know if you followed this. Boris Johnson thought old people should accept COVID fate and die. This was striking. Uh, they're doing an inquiry now on it. Uh, he thought old people should accept the COVID fate. And then in the Telegraph, it says, uh, Boris Johnson asked, why are we destroying the economy for people who will die anyway during COVID? And there's some pretty grotesque things he said. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so that's what I got. When I searched COVID fear, I see these stories on Boris Johnson. There's an inquiry now in the UK about the fact that he was a bit uh, uh, not the right one to have an office when they were in, uh, uh, you know, trying to troubleshoot COVID. But the bigger topic of all these stories and that you're not really seeing the fear stories anymore, I think, is the basis of the fact that uh, there's they just can't use it as fear right now. Things are actually looking better. I want to get a report from you as to what you think things are looking at. It's true. We've rounded the curve on this fall outbreak. It never took off like some thought it would. It was very diverse all the way through EG5, FX, FL 1.5, and HV, all balanced. We didn't have a hyperdominant strain. The XBB 1.5 faded away. That was the one the booster was targeted for. So again, the booster was just you know off target too late, didn't have an impact. And uh, already... We have a situation where, um, you know, things are improving. Uh, even those testing positive in the hospital, they don't necessarily have COVID. That's on the way down. You don't see panic anywhere. People out at restaurants, shopping malls, traveling. Uh, so the fall outbreak is 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 fizzled. I think natural immunity is held up. I do think it's interesting that for the first time we don't have a hyperdominant strain. That we're back to 
a diverse strain. Remember, diversity means natural. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this is coming to a natural end. There will be always be some SARS-CoV-2 around, right. but it's like, you know, any other form of a common cold. Right. You know, it, it, it is. I mean, about a month and a half ago, maybe about six weeks ago, you and I, you know, we remember we they, there was a lot of fear that the COVID fall season would be very bad. And a lot of these other things would uh, conglomerate to cause some real uh, strife in people and possible. There was just a lot of fear based headlines. I remember that. And they sort of went quiet. I thought that was fascinating. But don't forget now. There's a lot of other big news, Peter, they're talking about the mm-hmm. Middle East war being one of them, naturally. Uh, a lot of things here back at home that they're fighting with in D.C., uh, with the speaker and politics and life and Trump and uh, court cases and everything else. That's kind of occupying the media's attention. So they really can't use fear at the moment. But it is interesting to see how things are going. And what do you make of these comments from Boris Johnson? Any comment on these are out there, man. I mean, what? Gosh, are- I hope those aren't new. I, I saw those and maybe they're kind of dredged up from the past. But it, one does wonder what was in the minds of people <laughs> as they, you know, through public health agencies, governments and others, took such a nihilistic approach to our seniors. Uh, I mean, you know, of all the people who really suffered the pandemic, it was our seniors. Well, hence what they did in New York and other places, putting them all in the nursing homes, and many of them died, right? Yeah, what Como did with this return of sick people to the nursing homes, and it effectively affected more in order to try to keep throughput through hospitals, was a disaster. Uh, but, but, you know, people have not spent enough time on what did happen in nursing homes, what happened to our senior citizens. We, you know, at the very part of the pandemic, all the focus was on the nursing homes. And, and then within a few months, we never heard about the nursing homes again. We never heard about COVID resurgence in the nursing homes. We never heard about transfers. The nursing homes became basically a, a black space out there. No one actually ever had any follow up. And as the vaccine campaign rolled out, you know, the focus seemed to be in a very distorted way, shifting to lower and lower ages. And if you were to go out there right now, you'd hear a lot more about vaccination of of toddlers and children than you would our seniors. Remember how all these uh, illnesses go. It's the seniors that are at the highest risk, not children and young people. Well, you know, I, I think back to the fact I always comment that people have short memories, uh, surely Americans do, very sadly. And then if you don't really study history or know what happened, you're never really able to um, uh, fix things or, you know, stop off some of the future problems. And, I, you know, I was just thinking, you talk about the seniors and the senior homes and what it transpired. You know, this would be a productive area, Peter, for the media to hi- spend time historically looking at things that we should really learn some major lessons in because there was so much wrong there was so much that went wrong there was so many things that were handled wrong and there's massive lessons to be learned that's where research and studies and things should be looked at right now so that if anything happened in the future we would be in a far better position to uh, deal with some of this stuff don't you think oh for sure nursing homes were the only place where there was bona fide worker to patient transmission we should study how did that happen uh, you know, there was a recent report out about the sociological impacts of locking down the nursing homes over and over again. You know, many nursing homes and senior living facilities 
once one person got COVID through the course of the pandemic, the entire facility would lock down over and over and over again. And some facilities cumulatively spent very long periods of time in lockdown. That means family members couldn't visit, uh, residents couldn't visit each other. They couldn't go down in the dining room. They had to take their meal, meals in their room. The impact on senior living with this pandemic and pandemic response, the story has not been told, Malcolm. And I, I think if it, if it ever does come out, it's not going to be good. The story has not been told. I like the way you just said that. The story has not been told. Those are important words to me that we really do need to tell the story. What I'm, I'm suggesting is there's some real work to do ahead uh, to be able to tell that story. You know, I'm just thinking, too, you remember the times and we talked about it in the mix of it when, you know, they were forcing you to wear the mask when you were out in public anywhere. And then they were forcing you to wear it to walk, you know, eight, 10 feet to your table and then take it off at your table. It became really a late night joke, really the whole thing. And people were doing that and going along with it. And then the six feet thing, and then you go into places and they're they're demanding you wear your mask and the mask are hanging off the people, their nose is exposed. They got things hanging off one ear, off the other ear. And it's like, this thing was ridiculous. I mean, the whole thing was just a sad joke. I mean, and it never worked. But there's well, a study that should happen. It didn't work, but uh, recently there was a presentation at the uh, American, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and it was astounding on the real bona fide negative, the harms of vaccines. Uh, you know, it worsened the rates of sinusitis in children uh, in, in upper respiratory tract infections. It, uh, it clearly uh, was uh, played a role in developmental delay and actually dropping the IQ of young children. Now that's come out where the the IQ is actually dropped because the kids can't, you know, didn't learn how to read people's facial expressions and the language, the speed of language acquisition didn't occur as rapidly as it, it should. And in fact, there's one analysis where the fibers, Malcolm, get down in the lungs. The fibers from the, you're breathing a mask yeah. all day long. That yeah. stuff is going down in the well, lungs. Well, some people had it on for six, eight, 10 hours. I wore one every day for three years at a major medical center. So, uh, you know, so they caused harm. They not only did not work, but they caused harm. And it's just the excessive masking. Remember, you know, the CDC says the only time we need to wear a mask is when a doctor or a nurse goes into respiratory isolation. I may see a patient in the hospital. I may go in the respiratory isolation and be in there 10, 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops. That's it. That's the only time I need to wear a mask. What we did with COVID is we wore it hour after hour after hour. And that's just not done. It's not even done in medical care. Yeah. And so yeah. breathing in the fibers, this uh, impairment of ventilation, the, um, you know, the, the, they've studied the masks in terms of fungi, bacteria, and other bugs that get in there. They're very unsanitary. The, the, the human nose and mouth is meant to breathe fresh air. It's not Amen. meant to have a, 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 a mask made out of various uh, fibers in front of it. And then the fibers going into the lungs, that was the worst. I mean, that that just looks absolutely awful. I can't imagine having that crud down in my lungs. I bet it's down there and you can't get it out. So, um, you know, it masking did great harm. The amount of time spent on masking by our public health officials, the amount of time people wore masks, it was absolutely heartbreaking part of the response. I had a patient today who came in wearing a mask. 
and she's struggling. And we convinced her to take it off. So we oh, did you really? Yeah. Really? Uh, well, you know, uh, for those of us who didn't wear the mask and succumb to the fear-based uh, propaganda pressure on all that, we were always we were also taking life in matters into our own hands, Peter, our health. Because I can't tell you how many places we were at that people got aggressive. They got nasty. They got aggressive. It's one of they didn't punch us in the face or get physically aggressive, which it did happen in some cases, actually, out there. Not me personally. But what I'm saying is that was also a danger, not wearing a mask, potentially, right? Uh, it's true. We saw these yeah. scenes yeah. Of, of people you know, yeah. told they had to sit in the back of the restaurant if they weren't going to wear a mask, like some type of penalty. Uh, you know, there's one, one time I was on Fox News for Laura Ingram, and they, they had me opine on a, on a clip where a poor girl was running a thousand meter race and she was having to wear a mask outside and she absolutely collapses at the end, falls and ends up, you know, injuring her shoulder. Somebody wearing a mask in an Olympic swimming pool, uh, you know, wearing a mask, driving alone. And, and it goes on and on and on. The masks went on to actually just symbolize, I think, fear, uncertainty, compliance, uh, virtue signaling. Uh, you know, you saw, which was very interesting. If you go on Twitter, I know you're not a big Twitter fan, Malcolm, but you go on Twitter, some people actually change their Twitter profile pictures to wearing a mask. Oh so they covered God. up their face to, to, you know, I don't know if they were trying to signal to other people that it was good to mask. And there was hashtags, mask up, wear a mask. Uh, you know, this the, the mask took on a life of its own through the pandemic. You know, I haven't been on Twitter or I, my team does. We have a marketing team and many others. I mean, they are out there with out loud news and all that. But I have, haven't personally been on Twitter in some time, it's <laughs> been really a long time, and I haven't been on any of the social media. And I have to tell you, in full confession, my friend, I do not miss it at all. I do not miss it at all. I find it a very vile place. It brings out the worst of humanity. Personally, no, I do not miss it. Honestly, honestly, so I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I feel like I've gained actually uh, by not being in that cesspool. I think people are nasty. It's just, it's a really it brings out the vitriol in people and. Just well, don't so you nasty. think, Malcolm, don't you think people will tweet things at each other that they wouldn't say face to face? A hundred percent. It's a place right? for and cowards. They'll just say awful things 100%. to to each other in these exchanges. See, I would never follow. I would never reply to those. Like, I don't mind if people call me names. I just don't reply. So, like, I'd never get into a fight with any of them. In, in fact, I would rather have them. You know the way I look at it, Peter? Seriously, and I've said this before, and I'm being sincere. I would rather have them call me names, even if they're like bad names, like whatever they want to call me, than not call me at all. I'm okay with that. Like, call me whatever you want. I don't take it personally. So, like, it's perfectly fine. But I find it a very hostile place where people get uh, over the top. You're right. And they don't have the courage. Uh, to talk to these, I always one was the kind of guy, and like you even mentioned a few times back, I remember a few shows back, you were talking about meeting somebody overseas, and you were talking about being at a table with somebody. Uh, I, I think it was one of the tricks you did, and you said there's something about eye-to-eye -eye contact when you're meeting that people, and you know, Peter, that's something I've always felt uh, sincerely now in all my years that sitting down with somebody and breaking bread or enjoying the moment and you know looking to somebody in the eye, so. I've used that as my policy all my life, actually, is 
to be honest with folks, be uh, real, genuine, and don't talk behind people's backs. Even if you have a problem with somebody, be genuine. You can be a gentleman and have a conversation with them. And when you deal with somebody eye to eye, you can solve so much. People are responsive and they'll talk to you and you can actually resolve things. I That's what I found in my life, Peter. It's so true. And you know, I went on a show yesterday with uh, an Australian doctor and a media person, and they let me know they did pass this new digital communications law in Australia. It goes into effect the first of the year where uh, one cannot say anything against the government narrative, nothing. And wow. it's going to be an automatic uh, deplatforming. And in Australia, down. you said? Australia? Yeah, Australia. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's there. Uh, I think I told you in France, you can no longer access mm. Rumble. Rumble is just uh, oh, out. Yeah, that's right. And so I did mention our platform. I said, this is going to be a great challenge with respect to independent media. Will people really flock to these independent media platforms? Because it's just not going to be worth it to be on anything else because it's uh, you know not going to give somebody a, a true picture of what's going on or just getting different opinions. And then I also said, I think it will also be the revival of the mass meeting and people getting together and just talking mm -hmm. because uh, people in Australia will not be able to post something uh, in Australia going on that's viewed to go against whatever the government wants them to think. You know, man, you know, I have to tell you, um, I and for those of you listening from Australia, I pray for you folks all the time. And I love Australia. I love Australians. The country is magnificent. And I, I tell you, the only thing Australia is going to have to do is they're going to have to rise up and replace that government. And the reason I bring that up is because that's what happened in New Zealand. I reported on it, I think, two weeks ago. We had Trevor mm -hmm. Loudon on. I love Trevor. Mm -hmm. I have him on all the time on Viewpoint this Sunday. I had Trevor on. And I just couldn't not wait to talk to him because New Zealand got a whole new government and it went conservative to the right because people got, and New Zealanders are amazing people. I mean, the country I've visited a couple of times. I love New Zealand, uh, both the North and South. It's a magical place. It's a place I even would have considered moving to, frankly, if I could tie to these bozos in DC and want another place, that's a place I would have looked at. But I wouldn't have done it when they were so far left. But now they've come more, far more to the right. The new government is the people got so fed up in New Zealand. They changed the whole government down to go more conservative, patriotic New, new Zealanders. God bless them. I was so hoping Australia would take a lesson from New Zealand. It just happened with the election in New Zealand. And Trevor was, I, he was so thrilled with it because he's such a patriot and loves New Zealand. Naturally, it's where he was born. And what a story that is. But Australia's not getting a mem memo yet, huh, Peter? No, it's not. And uh, I'm in communication with both countries, uh, like you are. And uh, this this misinformation, disinformation, Ministry of Truth type of law did go through. And if it's anything like what France is doing, they're serious about it. They're going to shut down platforms. And it, this is going to be in many ways, such a great thing to watch. And that is, will this really make independent media become the, the premium, the premium venue? Well, it, it gives me a lot of hope. And I'll tell you truthfully, when you say that a couple of times, I get a real um, jump in my step and a real um, excitement and thirst uh, for truth, for the out loud truth, but for the truth, 
and the opportunity that we can make a difference, we are making a difference, and that it really gives me encouragement. And I love, you know, it's like, I don't know, Peter, it's like the other day, you know, I, without going there and report, I, if somebody was on my show and they said some very despairing remarks about things I totally did not agree with that were just really just selfish against humanity. They were things I would never, and I cringed at the fact that they said it. And I even questioned whether I should edit it out or not, because some of it crossed the line a bit. And I never liked to do that. I really do believe in free speech. I don't have to agree with it to publish anything because it's not my opinion. So things are on Mark Father all the time that are not my opinion, but that's doesn't mean it's my opinion at all. It means that we honor people's respect and their free speech. And it just happened to me this past week or so, somebody that said some comments that were so grotesque on the world stage about people. And I cringed and I thought, you know, when I got to the point, I, you know, Peter, I, I, I won't put the words or the vocabulary specifically, but I, I, I have to at least honor the honest truth, even though I don't like it. Does that make sense? It does. I, I, you know, I, you were making me think of this whole issue of fair balance. And so one of the exercises you can do is just turn on any station and listen, turn on a news station and listen to it and ask yourself, is that person reporting to you what's going on or are they giving you their opinion? And just try to give a percentage on that. And I can tell you a lot of news stations you turn on, it's opinion. It's all opinion. It's all opinion based now, Peter. There's there's no more journalism. It's gone. No, no, no. Right. And so if someone's giving you their opinion, that's the next step. Are they at least acknowledging two points of view? So on any dispute that's out there, there are always two sides. Amen. There's always two sides. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a dispute. I love what you say. I love what you say. There's two sides. And so um, uh, I recently interviewed somebody It's going to come up on my show. And it was a very sensitive topic where it's clear the person has taken one side and, and, and I, I don't necessarily hold the other side, but I wanted to have some uh, balance to it. And I was just carefully trying to ask, ask the questions. And, um, uh, you know, I, I did find it challenging and to, to try to get to, a point where we're so polarized today, we actually very rarely see anybody, even in the media, present two sides of something. Well, you know, you 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 spring up. So, you're so good at this, and you you so figure this out. But let me just say to you, I love that part of the story. I love to bring different voices to the table, a, a diversity of thought, diversity of thinking, diversity of people. So. I never cut that part of it out. It's one of the things I enjoy about this business. So frankly, I have a lot of people on and I interview a lot of people that are totally opposite views of mine. I just don't agree with them, but I do it respectfully because I want to look at each problem Mm -hmm. and each situation to really Mm -hmm. understand it and get all points out, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's very good, Malcolm. And that's really such a, a tribute to the platform, America Out Loud News that we do we need the diversity of opinions because the world is becoming very polarized and also very narrow you turn in one station within two seconds you say oh that's the one for the left oh that's the one for the right and and and, uh, many times people are somewhere in between on these issues they really are and they they do want to understand two sides of an issue amen they really do 
Right. No, um, that's perfectly said. I'm glad we talked about this and I'm glad you said the things you said on it. And uh, it makes a lot of sense, but this is good. It's good. And let's talk about this uh, major story on Matthew Perry and 54 years old, young, young man and beloved to be sure, went through some hard times in life, had some near death experiences uh, and uh, really troubled life at times, but always came back. And his untimely death, uh, the report started coming across. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not, I don't, I wasn't like a friend's cult or anything. I don't follow a lot of that sitcom stuff. And so like, it wasn't like I had that sort of affection, but my heart went out to him and his family. I felt um, a little bit of loss for society, for humanity, uh, when I read it, you never want to see that with anybody. And so I was very sorrowful that that had happened to this young man. Uh, but the report started that he drowned in the hot, hot tub, uh, Peter, was the first line mm -hmm. of conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't know what that was all about. So what is that, there's a lot of speculation of what he died from. And we're hearing a lot of people come out about talking about vaccines, because I guess he was a big pro vaccine guy. But you kind of hard to make that leap, I guess, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, I agree. What we've learned is, you know, he did die on October 28th. Uh, law enforcement said that uh, he appeared to have drowned in a in a hot tub or a jacuzzi at his private residence. And I can tell you on these um, hot tub and bathtub drownings in adults, they're almost always secondary. They're not primary. So, you know, if he died in a, you know, out in the ocean, it, one can actually have a primary drowning. You can actually drown in the ocean because of inability to swim or fatigue or what have you can you, the the drowning is the primary cause of death but when it's in a jacuzzi it's actually pretty hard to get under the water long enough to drown so the drowning is almost never the primary cause something was the proximate cause of death and then the body slipped underwater and uh, for instance you remember Whitney Houston yeah she was in that Beverly Hills hotel yeah, that's right and uh down in the tub right down in the tub Drugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so what was said is it was drugs or alcohol or something mm -hmm. along those lines. And, um, uh, you know, and then she uh, she uh, passed away. I guess her daughter passed away in a similar she manner. Did. In this case, one would think, well, it was something else that was approximate cause of death and then slips into the water. And with Whitney Houston, her daughter, the, the what we're told is uh, drugs or alcohol. And, uh, you know, Matthew Perry had quite a battle with addiction over time. I mean, it's really ex extraordinary, his battle with um, uh, addiction. He um, uh, was into uh, certainly alcohol, uh, oral uh, opiates. Uh, at one point in time, he was down to 128 pounds. Uh, he was taking more than 50 Vicodin a day. He had gone to rehab for more than a dozen times. Uh, he had underwent 14 different surgeries, which is really an extraordinary, uh, you know, medical history for a man 54 years age. Uh, for instance, he had a ruptured bowel, a ruptured colon, got very sick, and, and he actually had a colostomy. Uh, well, well, how do people who are in this type of condition, how do they have a ruptured colon? Well, the, you know, common causes are diverticuli or... Um, or uh, in his case, almost certainly opioid constipation. Do you know when someone's on that many uh, milligrams of, of opiates, the bowels simply just don't contract. 
and the stool builds up, builds up, builds up, and then ultimately the bowels rupture. And uh, so he had a bowel rupture. He had a colostomy. So he had a bag collecting the stool for a period of time, uh, a reconnection uh, to that. Um, in one of these surgeries, uh, he, he actually became asystolic. The heart no longer was beating during the surgery. They did CPR. Uh, he had no blood pressure. They actually used extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. He was on that for two weeks. I mean, that's used for the sickest people ever. People very, very rarely survive ECMO. Uh, he had spent more than $7 million on his journey to sobriety, rehab 15 times, um, and uh, uh, he had been in uh, mental institutions, gone to therapy twice a week for 30 years, uh, been to death's door, he wrote in his memoir. Um, <clears throat> he was actually still in rehab, actually, when during one of the Friends episodes, he uh, um, goes to the wedding of Monica and Chandler, the two of the other friends there, and they drove him back to rehab. I remember watching Friends, and at one point in time, he became so thin uh, over time. And uh, so when we, we come down to a death of this type in someone who had had such a extensive uh, drug and alcohol addiction over time, uh, had had undergone multiple surgeries, had, had actually had a cardiac arrest in the past and required ECMO, uh, it, it would just be imp nearly impossible to figure out what was his final demise, you know, what was the final cause of death? It would be nearly impossible. I imagine an autopsy could try to look for traces of drugs or alcohol, and uh, chances are would find a heart that's dilated that, you know, the heart over time takes its toll with drug abuse, particularly cocaine. And with all the accidents and surgeries he had, you, you I hear re reports that, uh, you know, that, that they're doing extensive, extensive autopsy and toxicology sort of reports. And stuff. So you don't still think they'll ever really know? No, I don't think it will. In these cases, what they find is they find the heart is dilated. Uh, mm -hmm. The heart may have taken damage with his prior CPR that he had back in, uh, you know, several years ago and he was on ECMO. Uh, they'll find that his liver is cirrhotic with with uh, you know changes scarring changes due to all the alcohol. Alcohol affects the heart chronically over time. They'll find that the brain actually has some atrophy to it because of the drugs and alcohol over time. He's obviously had multiple surgeries in his abdomen elsewhere in his body. They'll find the surgical scars, but in the end, it'll be nearly impossible to pinpoint an exact cause of death. It's almost as if the body in the end gives out and uh, it's, it's the cumulative toll that one, you know, incurs over the course of their life. I don't think it'll be anything uh, proximal. Now you enter in the vaccines. Oh, he took a COVID-19 vaccine. He was wearing a shirt saying he took a vaccine and some people immediately jump, aha, it's the vaccine. Well, I can tell you in a case like this, this is what's called a, a, a dirty information picture. It's just too complicated one simply couldn't ascertain. So uh, I, I would not be out there on Twitter saying that the vaccine was his proximate cause of death. I think it's just going to be impossible. Put it this way. If the type of autopsy findings that I just described were in, if he was a case in our manuscript that we have on autopsies after vaccination, it, we would rule that, you know, he's in the 26% where we, we can't, um, 
indict the vaccine. We can't implicate the vaccine. It's just too complicated. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, it makes absolutely sense. Um, there's, um, you know, the, when you become at that point like this guy and so many other actors, it's sad that drugs become such a big part of their lives. Uh, I was just looking a moment ago. You remember the, uh, you mentioned Whitney Houston, dying in the tub. The drugs, of course, played. Uh, Prince, world-renowned Prince, dies. Uh, he was 57 years old. Drugs. Uh, Michael Jackson, drugs, 50 years old. I mean, imagine spending your whole life to become that successful and that uh, influential with the public, uh, being an influencer, uh, and then just, you know, succumbing to drugs and dying at 50 years old. You're living, well, really pretty young person by any standards today. Uh, pretty sad state of affairs, isn't it? You know? Well, you know, some of these videos give you an insight there's one I like to watch just because I like the the uh, song, but it's by uh, Bon Jovi. And uh, it, it said something like, uh, right. on a steel horse I ride, Oh yeah, I'm a cowboy. And, and uh, it just shows their life on the road. When these guys tour, oh my gosh, it they is it is go time. The and it's so uh, the stage performance is it's it's way more than you know an athletic competition. These guys are really just going all out. Uh, they're young. Uh, there's just uh, you know women and and drugs and alcohol all around them. And a lot of people who are benefiting from their, you know, from their wealth and their fame. And um, I think it takes a really stoic person not to get sucked into that. Yeah, and once they get sucked into that, yeah. uh, it is a vicious cycle. How to many a lead that. singer for Lincoln Park? We can, we can go o- so over many. and over again. There must be a, a, an unbelievable list yeah. of people who've died of drugs and alcohol. Oh, my God. It's, because I mean, of, because yeah. of that. Yeah. That um, lifestyle. Uh, it's, it's a lifestyle, but it's also like an occupational lifestyle. <laughs> like, like you know, I I, I went to a clinic today. I, yeah, I took care of patients. I'm gonna you know work on this, and I've got a few more things tonight, and I'll drive home. You know, I, I'm not getting in a bus with a bunch of other wild people and wild partiers, and then driving to you know, busing to another town. <laughs> you mean you don't have to, another life? You mean? <laughs> yeah, to, and then to set up a stage, and then to have. 50,000 people go absolutely nuts when you get on stage. And, and, uh, you know, I I imagine for these guys, Malcolm, it has to be quite a high. I mean, they look out into the crowd. And they want to stay high. Maybe that's part of it. They want to stay high with that adrenaline with 50,000 people. And then you stay high with other things. That's it. That's it. Life becomes one big orgasm at that point, brother. So it's just, it's (laughs) just the adrenaline high. You're right. And I, I think some of these guys start to realize, boy, you know, if they, if they snort some cocaine right before they go on oh stage, they, they can jump yeah. a little higher and Maybe. and get a little bit more crazy. Well, Somebody's like these athletes perfect. dropping down on the field where they're very healthy uh, didn't make a lot of sense. A different story, right? You know, right, right. Totally Ma- you know, story. Matthew Perry had already had many near death experiences yeah. in his yeah. life of different types, and he he had one. We don't know all the circumstances, but he had one. Uh, in a hot tub in his house, and that was that was the end. Yeah, for sure. That was the very end. And you never know, which is why treat every day the best you can, and treat uh, thy fellow man the best you can, because you just don't know. And you, you know, really though, that's how precious life is and what it means. So, well, we're going to now turn the page and get into questions. Your Q and A's, Q and A eighty nine. 
And we'll do that just after the pause. You're listening to America Out Loud Pulse. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Hey, we're back with you here. It is Malcolm Out Loud here along with Dr. Peter McCullough and Q&A 89. And uh, a lot of great questions we'll dive into here as well. Uh, And uh, let's do it. Let's start this one with Larry. He says, can you tell if the current flu vaccines are safe for children and myself? I'm age 45. I have stayed away from all COVID toxic shots, but want to know if other vaccines are safe or toxic as well. You know, I, we can't say that now, Malcolm. The FDA just came out with a warning. Now, it, it involves the flu shot and the COVID shot, but the warning is people under 65 and the safety signal is stroke. It's stroke. So we we simply can't say that. I mean, clinically, yes. Do I think the flu shot is safe? I think it's reasonably safe, but it's it's definitely not effective enough to recommend in practice. It doesn't, the last few years, it's it's essentially had a negligible effect. So, but now this report that comes out from the FDA saying, well, now we're seeing, uh, you know, an excess risk of stroke in people who take the COVID shot and the flu shot, but now we don't know which one. (laughs) So since it's implicated, what I'm telling people in my practice is let's skip it this year. Let's skip flu this year and we'll relook at it. I think that's wise advice. And you actually said that about a year, year and a half ago when this thing started to surface and come out uh, at the toward the end of it, actually. You know, it's hard to believe we're uh, we're now well over three and a half years into this thing coming into 
it's not going to be too far from now when this thing started to come out of China, actually, at the uh, end of 1999. Uh, I mean, um, 1999, 2019. <laughs> I went back yeah. a whole couple I mean, of decades. Malcolm, we should just call it four years because uh, Event 201, everything we learned from uh, former CDC Redfield. According to Redfield, the virus was out of the lab by this time four years ago. That's it's been right. four years. This has been four years of our lives. Yeah, it has. I remember some of the things in November, December, where we were hearing from the news side of things, the political side of things. I was hearing from my intelligence experts that there was some weird stuff going on in China and the crematoriums were burning around the clock and there were some viruses and it was some real oddities and there was a lot of concern. And I never thought at that moment that this should be something that would take over our lives and we'd be talking about this many years later. But yeah, I remember that it was in November, December before anything started happening here in January and speculating on it. So it's been a long journey for sure. Um, this uh, next one is from Peter. He says, you mentioned a German study that showed that the mRNA was causing damage to the heart at least a month. Most of the damage and deaths appear to occur within the first few weeks to months after vaccine. Why are some people damaged and others are not? Were some people temporarily injured and now have recovered or is it permanent for these people? Tough question. So far, the let's take the last part of the question first, the, the permanence of it. Uh, there is a paper from Yale, Barmada is the first author, showing at least by nine months, it's looking to be permanent. 80% of people are not improving at nine months by MRI. There's a paper from uh, Asia showing that about a year, they're not sh showing this clear up. So I'm going to say permanent. Uh, the question is, how big is the damage? Now, myocarditis, uh, three papers now, Mansugian, Barron, and now a recent one, uh, on my Substack, Levi, all showing uh, probably 2.5% sustained heart damage to the point where it's recognizable with blood tests, cardiac troponin, MRI, et cetera. Now, there's a wider group of people that have cardiac changes and they don't have symptoms. A recent MRI study by <clears throat> Nakahara and colleagues really was stunning. Over 700 people who uh, took the vaccine, 300 who didn't. The cardiac MRIs change in almost everyone. I'm sorry, cardiac PET scan, a positron emission tomography scan, changes in almost everyone, Malcolm. The heart normally takes up free fatty acids for its fuel. It shifts towards a diseased pattern of taking up 18 fluorodeoxyglucose. Wow. And the stunning thing about the Nakahara paper, it was nearly everyone who they have a change in their heart on PET scanning, which is not a good sign. Um, now, in that study, the people had the most intense changes in the heart. They tended to have a sore arm. They had a sore arm. Uh, and that German paper he mentioned, Schwab and colleagues, if there's a sore arm, there's inflammation in the arm, there's inflammation in the heart. That was the Schwab autopsy study. So one of the things I'm doing now, Malcolm, is someone says, hey, Dr. McCullough, I took the shots in 2021. Do I have anything to worry about? I was the first question I asked them, did you have a sore arm? Did you have a fever? Did you have any symptoms? If the answer is no, I didn't even feel it. It was like nothing. What I know about that group is I think they're fine. I, I can't see anything in the literature where they're going to have a problem. But if people got a sore arm, fever, were knocked out for three or four days, different story. And, and the difference may be how much active messenger RNA that people got in each one of these vials. Uh, so that's what we know there. So it goes back to the original symptoms at the time someone takes the shot and then <clears throat> how things e evolve over time. We now have clear evidence 
that someone can have a cardiac arrest without myocarditis seen on the MRI. And it's probably due to this, what's called uh, metabolic cardiomyopathy changes that Nakahara mm -hmm. is reporting. Wow. You know, uh, I see people referencing that sore arm in a lot of emails. We have smart listeners that pay attention to all this and they know a lot about it. They listen to these uh, conversations very, very uh, clearly. Many of them listen to them multiple times, in fact. A couple of interesting questions coming up here now uh, to that point. Uh, Robbie says, why is the excess death rate not uniform amongst high vaccinated countries? For example, in the UK, the vaccination rate is similar to that of Sweden. Yes, Sweden's excess deaths are in deficit, whereas the UK, whilst the excess death rate has been slightly leveled to the five-year average, uh, thankfully, it, it, but it's still higher. Do you think the lockdowns may be having an effect on this or maybe the obesity levels being higher? Mm, I think it's age. Remember, excess death is excess death above what's expected. And the single greatest determinant of the expectation of death is age. So I think it's going to be different age structures for different populations. Younger populations, chances are, will have higher excess death, even though the, the raw numbers, the crude numbers won't be that big, but it, it'll be more above the baseline. Those with older populations, less so, you're probably not going to see a signal. So the UK, I was over there recently, Malcolm. It's, it's amazing how many old people are in the UK. Really? A ton, a ton of old people. Well, but, well, and, I can tell you what, Boris Johnson didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the beginning of the show if you missed that, friends, oh, and you'll yeah. get that There story, you go. That, that, that's the tie-in right there. Yeah, it sure is. Um, you know, I just looked up average life expectancy, because as I understood, or I was told, and I don't know if this is accurate, Peter, that we lost about three years with COVID mm -hmm. for that period of time in the average life expectancy. But when I look it up now, uh, it says here in 2023, the life expectancy is back up to 79.11. Is that what it, I'm shocked to see that. I thought it would be down around 76, but it looks like it's back up there, or am I missing something? Uh, well, CDC says life expectancy has dropped for the second year, okay, uh, down to 79.9. Boy, it must have really jumped up more than I realized. It's still climbing both back up there, though. Okay. Well, it's you know, it's, of course, it's going to volley around. Hmm. Um, Japan, by the way, is almost 85 years old. Switzerland's 85. Those are those, what do they call them, blue zones and stuff like that, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Singapore's What's 84. Italy's 84. Wow. Hmm. What about uh, Japan? Yeah, Japan. What is it here? It is Japan, Japan. Boy, there's a lot of interest in, uh, let's see here. We got Hong Kong, Japan. Okay, how about, uh, wow, 85 years old and females, 88 years old. There you go. Wow. Very impressive. Yeah, Hong <laughs> Kong is high, Switzerland's high, Singapore's high, Italy, South Korea, Spain. Wow, these numbers are darn impressive. Australia, these are all in the 80s. The French Polynesian, 86. Sweden, Norway, Martinique, Israel. Get out of here. We're missing the boat here. Well, you know, a couple of things on age. This is very interesting. It's been said that your biological age can be 20 years plus or minus your chronological age. So let me give you an example. I'm 60. Uh, you know, I could really be 80, believe it or not, depending on a whole variety of factors, right, right. lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, obesity, uh, 
medical conditions. And, and there are people my age in nursing homes. They exist. Really? Uh, or I could be as young as 40. I could be as young as 40. So age and, is just a number, isn't it? Peter, yeah. Really? So it's it's yeah. 20 years plus or minus. And, you know, there's all these factors that play into it. Uh, and so it makes it interesting. Now, the longer you live, it makes it more likely the longer you are going to live. Mm. So, for example, you know, if you make it to 85, the chances of making it to 90 are pretty high. Yeah. And if you make it to 90, you know, the chances to get to 95 and 100 are pretty high because it's obviously you've achieved that level. So it's very, uh, it's a very, age is a very interesting it construct. Is, yeah. yeah. And it's funny. Um, I, I just told my wife, I told Dee the other day, uh, Peter, I said, you know, I said, I, I, it may, I don't know, but something I said, I got to get in and get a physical. She said, why? I, nothing. I just want to have a physical. It's been a while. Uh, it's been, a, you know, with all this stuff going on. I said, I don't know. I just feel like I need to have a physical. She said, well, you're fine. She said, yeah, but I want to have a physical to make sure I need to be here. God has me here fighting this fight. I need to make sure I'm healthy to do it. Right. Well, it's true. And, um, you know, all of us don't want to think this way about, you know, how much time do we do we have? on earth. And, uh, you know, all of us would, would love to live to a hundred. I mean, isn't it amazing that the heart as a pump has valves that will work for a hundred years without breaking? I mean, what, what car has valves or, or various moving parts? What machine has moving parts that works for a hundred years without breaking? I, I mean, it is actually a pretty amazing, uh, the celestial design committee did a pretty good job on the, on the human body. And, uh, but this idea of this age factor, so you actually probably can influence things about 20 years. Let me give you an example. My uh, grandmother uh, lived all the way to 98. You know, she lived through the era of no, having no antibiotics when she was a child, uh, you know, through two world wars, you know, all of these factors, but she didn't smoke, she didn't drink. My dad was a hard smoking, hard drinking you know, man who just, you know, lived life to the, to the, to this greatest extent. He was hard on his body. My dad lived to 83, you know, right. so it was basically 13, what, no, 15 years less than his mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, each yeah. one of us, depending on how we take care of ourselves. Now, let me say this, when I see seniors in the office and they express any regret it's not that they regret, uh, you know, try, trying to, uh, you know, they didn't make enough money or they didn't drive enough fancy car. If they regret anything, they'll say, you know, I didn't take care of my body. I didn't take care of my diet. I didn't take care of my fitness. I didn't work on my strength. Um, some seniors will say, you know what? I regret I didn't travel when I could. Right. Now now I'm in a walker, a wheelchair. You're exactly right. Chairs. Regrets, I regret not regrets. traveling. I regret not yeah. doing these things. So what I always emphasize to people is think about your physical health. The older you get, your physical health becomes bigger, a bigger aspect of your life yeah. than than before. Yet a lot of people when they're young, they just discount it. Oh, I'm you know, I got good shoulders, I got good hips, I don't think about it too much. Okay. It's like invest in physical health, fitness, flexibility, strength, balance. Uh, I think it's very, very important. The biggest threat I see in seniors, Malcolm, a hip fracture, falling over and getting a hip oh, yeah. fracture. 
Yeah. Never being the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The falls are what does it. The absolute falls. It's done that with my mother-in-law. Uh, so those falls and they, they're devastated and they mess you up big time. Uh, this next one's from Debbie. Uh, is there treatment for menstrual irregularities after getting the vax? Asking for a 27-year-old female whose cycle has changed dramatically after getting the poison. Would Dr. McCullough's base spike protein detoxification work for that? If the spike protein is driving it, uh, yes. And we actually have seen improvements. Uh, however, with a caveat, two components of the base spike protein detox, McCullough protocol, BSD, uh, natokinase and bromelain, they actually mild blood thinners. So in theory, they could make the, the vaginal bleeding worse. Sometimes patients have to go on oral con contraceptives for a period of time to settle it down. Uh, you know, there's sometimes there needs to be an intervention. But there was a large project in the UK called the EVA project. And this was stunning, Malcolm. 78% of women who take the shots, they have menstrual irregularities. Yeah. Well, amongst other problems, right? Um, uh, let me get to this one is from Lori. I bought the Co Cofix RX and just started using it. It does sting a slight bit but it makes me sneeze within a couple of minutes and I have to blow my nose. I hope it still works. You talk about diluting it. I have RO water. Can I put a few drops in it without spoiling it? Yes, I advised uh, diluting it. Uh, if it stings at all, um, it's too irritant. I, I think almost all the manufacturers of these sprays, just to between you, me, and our audience, Malcolm, they're too strong. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fine to dilute them. And uh, it should be very comfortable. No one should have any discomfort working on using one of these nasal sprays. Yeah, I don't get any discomfort myself from it at all. So I guess it's just personally. But, but do you do you dilute them or you take them straight no, out? No, right from the bottle. Yeah, just really? like you oh. do. I think you do that. Don't no, you? I dilute them. Oh, you I do? Dilute them. Oh. And you know, my wife complains bitterly about it. So I, I really have to make sure they're diluted. And okay. It, it's that. fine. What we've learned is. Initially, I think we are going too strong on the iodine and some of the other components. Now, xylitol in general doesn't burn. Right. So uh, xylitol-based products are a little different, but the and iodine- That's on Clear, Clear and right. Covix as well. They're both our uh, partner sponsors here for the broadcast, friends. And you can get all that information in americaroutloud.shop. I didn't get to that in the break there, but anyways, that's where you can get it. As well as the, uh, the nanokinase and the spike support from the wellness company, uh, is in there as well. I should mention that. I want to get to a couple more here quickly. This one's from V. Uh, is the, oh, is the NATO safe to take the NATO kinase? She's saying, is the NATO safe to take if you have previously had cancer since it is soy-based product? Yes, I think it is. I think it'll be fine. Uh, th there is no significant soy content. Th there's just enough to probably, uh, it's someone with a soy allergy not to use, but it's it's very different than eating soy that you would eat, uh, you know, if you went out for tofu. Right, have you. right. And the reason why you, when this comes up, Malcolm, is people with estrogen receptor positive uh, breast cancer, some other female reproductive cancers, you don't want to administer exogenous estrogen. And, and soy does drive uh, some endogenous estrogen uh, production. But this is different than eating soy. This is actually taking the enzyme itself, natokinase should be fine. All right. All right. I'm going to get this last one in here from Anne. I continue to be ever so grateful for our commitment to truly caring about others. Um, uh, is, is two questions you got. Is base spike detox okay for women of childbearing age? Let's answer that one first, is it? Yes, of childbearing age. 
however, I think if there's, you know, with adequate contraception and, and no, no plans for family planning, I think that's fine. Women who are actively trying to get pregnant or are pregnant or are breastfeeding, no natokinase. Now, here's the thing. Natokinase is not going to cause uh, a birth defect or, or you know, problems with, um, with the maternal outcome per se. But what it's going to do is it's going to increase the risk of hemorrhage. And so what we know is about 15% of first trimester pregnancies don't make it. The, the egg and the sperm, you know, something's gone wrong and the implantation doesn't work. Well, if you're on blood thinners, a form of a blood thinner at that stage, it's just going to make it more likely that the, 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 the embryo doesn't take. And then on the back end, when you're delivering, you certainly don't want to have hemorrhage at the time of delivering. So in general, we're telling pregnant women, listen, let's just stay off this for this period of time. And, and get through the pregnancy, you know, curcumin would be fine, but- Well, let me, let me get to, she asked about that. Let me get to this other part of the question. She said, I've seen that if you are taking one of the few nutraceuticals, for example, curcumin, methane blue or nigella sativa, you should notify your doctor before surgery due to the possibility of the serotonin syndrome. Not all, since not all surgeries have planned, does this pose a concern for taking the base spike detox? I mean, in general, our, our advice is don't take any of it. Um, don't take any of the base spike detox during pregnancy just to rule out any of these oddball things like serotonin syndrome, what have you. I think the safest during pregnancy is curcumin, but it's not a compelling thing to do during pregnancy. Women are preg pregnant. Pregnancy is a robust state. Uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be happy and pregnant with some horrible you know, post-vaccine injury syndrome. So I, I, I think the best advice is stay clear of all of it. Okay. And, and let me just remind everybody and tell everybody uh, the other shows with some really great Q&As. The nurses now are doing Q&As on Mondays. And if you go to the nav bar at news, go into shows, drop down to the nurses out loud, and you can go there and send them the questions right to the nurses, and they'll answer them on ear, and they're loving it, and they're now doing the Q&As, and they're, they're just having a great time. They're, they're, they're the best of the best, I, I got to tell you. Also, Looking for Healing Radio is doing a lot of the Q&As, just like we do on Pulse here. Um, they're the naturopathic doctors going to shows again, looking for healing radio. Uh, Dr. Brian Artis, Dr. Henry Ely, Dr. Janice Schmidt, uh, Nicolette Burnett. You'll get all of that there. So anyways, I just want to get that out there. And remember to get back over to AmericaOutloud.news and share the out loud truth friends around the world and, and let people to know that uh, independent media is alive and well. And uh, we are here for serving an important purpose here. This is Q&A 89. Thank you for joining us here on the mission on America Out Loud Pulse. Always a be